Hallelujah. Psalms 119 verse 38. Psalms 119 verse 38. Psalms 119 verse 38. You know, the easy Bible translation says, I am your servant. Please do what you have promised to do. Hallelujah. You know, David is speaking to God. He says, well, do what you've promised to do. You have promised to bless anyone who respects you. You've promised to bless everyone who respects you. And I want us to just pray these this words. Hallelujah. In the quietness of your heart, what are your expectations? Establish thy word unto thy servant who is devoted to thy fear. What promise of God can you remember concerning you? What promise of God can you remember regarding your need, regarding your family, regarding everything that concerns you? What promise of God can you remember in the word that God has given? Why can't you say, Lord, please do what you've promised to do? It's unto him we can come to with all our needs, with all our wants, with all our desires. It's unto him alone can we come believing him to perform all that he has said concerning our lives. I want you to just remember his word concerning your need, his presence in times of need. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And his word is also says that he shall supply all your needs. According to his riches, his riches, not your riches, but his riches in glory. Our God is able, is able. He wants us to see him beyond and bigger than our needs, bigger than our specific, unique needs. Whatever the news is, whatever the announcements is, whatever the fear is, see him beyond the fear of what you, you feel within you, but see him elevated above every circumstance in your life. God is able to do just what he says he will do. He's gonna fulfill every promise to me. I won't give up on God, cause he won't give up on me. He's ever. That is your God. That is your Father. That is your Father. That is your God. That is the God you serve. That is the Father that we serve. Holy prakatala posundo robosisenina. Jele preku kakana manda la basende lebese shekite. Ila preku kananda la basisenina mana. God is able to do. Just what he says he will do. He's going to fulfill. He's going to. All of them. Don't give up on God. He has never given up on you. Now personalize it to yourself. Instead of you, put I, put me, put myself. Hallelujah. Now let's sing it together. We are sure ourselves of these promises. God is able to do. Just he says he will do. He's going to fulfill. He's going to fulfill every promise promise to me 
up on God, else he will give up on me. He said, What he says, he will do. He's gonna fulfill every promise to me. I'll give up on God. Yes, he will give up on me. He's able. chapter 14, chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews 4, verse 15. Hebrews 4, verse 15. Please help me with Amplified. Or rather, let's read from King James, then we'll read from Amplified. Let's start with King James. Then we'll read from Amplified. It says, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Hallelujah. Now, let's read it in Amplified. We'll read verse 15 and 16. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to do what? To sympathize and understand our weaknesses and temptations. But one who was being tempted knowing exactly how it feels to be human. Amen? He knows what? How exactly it means to be a human. Why? Because he was a human on earth. So when you say God does not understand, he understands. Because he has lived in the flesh like you. Hallelujah. He says, knowing exactly how it feels to be human in every respect as we are, yet without committing any sin. The next verse. Therefore, let us with privilege, that is with confidence, with this understanding that he was a man, with this understanding, is able to sympathize and associate with our infirmities and our feelings and all the things that has happened to us. Let us therefore, let us with privilege approach the throne of grace that is the throne of God's gracious favor with confidence and without fear so that we may receive mercy for our failures and find his amazing grace to help in times of need and appropriate blessing coming just at the right time. Hallelujah. Today I'll be talking about the man Jesus. In continuity to our teaching from last week about, you know, Christology. Today we'll be focusing on the humanity of Jesus. And we said last time that Christology is what? Is a part of theology that is concerned with the nature and the works of Jesus. Including such matters as his incarnation. His incarnation. Incarnation means his coming into flesh. From the spirit realm becoming physical. His, the, 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 the resurrection. His human and divine natures. And how this issues relate. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Now I want us to read. Let's 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 look at Second Timothy chapter three, verse fourteen. Let me lay this foundation. Then we go into it detailly. Second Timothy chapter three, verse fourteen, down to verse seventeen. It says, "But as for you, continue in these things that you have learned, at which you are convinced, holding tightly to the truth." Knowing from whom you learn them. And how from childhood you've, you've known the sacred writings, Hebrew scriptures. Which are able to give, the, give you the wisdom. I think the classic, the classic uh, amplifier talks about able to give you understanding of salvation. Hallelujah. Now the reason why I take this scripture is for us to know why we're looking at the humanity of Jesus Christ that we can understand the salvation we have. When you're given something and you don't understand what it is, it is difficult for you to utilize it well. It is impossible for you to enjoy the fullness of that thing that you have. Today we were talking with the pastors about the Bible app, and they were, I was telling them about something from the app, and they were, really, is, you mean this is inside it? Said, yes, it's inside it. In fact, they, they updated it maybe this year. So because you don't know what is inside it, you cannot fully utilize it. Hallelujah. So for us to fully enjoy this gift of salvation, we have to understand these facts about the salvation, which the humanity of Jesus plays a role in our salvation. Hallelujah. It says, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to what? To salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, surrendering your entire self to him and having absolute confidence in his wisdom, power, and goodness. Verse 16. All scripture... All scripture from Genesis to Malachi. Hallelujah. Contextually. All scriptures to Revelation, obviously. All scripture is God's breath given by divine inspiration and is profitable for what? Number one, for instruction. That is the use of the scriptures. For conviction of sin. For correction. So when you come here, the word of God will instruct you. The word of God will inspire you. The word of God will convict you of sin, the word of God will correct you in error. Correction of error and restoration to obedience. For training, the curriculum for our training the faith is the scriptures. Hallelujah. For training in righteousness, learning to live in the conformity to God's will, both publicly and what, and privately behaving honorably with personal integrity and moral courage. I love this. The next verse, the next verse, it says, verse 17, so that what? So that the man of God, hallelujah, so that the daughter of God, if the man of God is too big for you, so that the child of God may be complete and what? And accurate and proficient and perfect, outfitted thoroughly, equipped for what? For some few good, for some few works. For every, every, every good work. So every single work you can imagine of planning to do on earth can only be fulfilled in its perfection in line with the training you receive from the revelation that comes in the word of God. Hallelujah. That is the curriculum for our making. For us to shine the light and do great works, the scripture is what is our foundation to which we can establish that kind of a life. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Why are we looking at the humanity of Jesus Christ? Why are we going to talk about the humanity of Jesus Christ? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your heart set Christ apart as what? As holy. Acknowledge him, giving him the first place in your lives. That is when we know that he was a human. We know about who Christ is. What we are studying Christology, knowing about Christ, is that we will be able to set our hearts Set in our hearts, Christ apart as holy, acknowledging him, giving him first place in our lives as what? As Lord. Always, so that, now, this is another reason. Always be ready to give a logical defense to anyone who asks you to account for the hope and the confident assurance elicited by faith that is within you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Hallelujah. Some of us, when they ask you, why are you a believer? You cannot even rightly articulate your faith. You meet people and they tell you that Jesus Christ never existed and your faith has shaken. They bring proofs. Of your, they can have their proofs. You know. 
Tell you, have you seen him before? How true are you? How sure are you that he's not a cook-up story? You know. And then little arguments comes around and then they, they scatter our faith because we don't have this solid foundation in the knowledge of who Christ is. It is expedient that we find ourselves grounded in the truth about who Jesus is. So that we'll be confident enough, right, to be able to lo be logical. See, the gospel is logical. You can logically explain the gospel. Hallelujah. The gospel, in fact, even you can explain it with common sense. Even to a layman should be able to, even an unlearned person can understand the gospel and preach it. And it will have power and it will save people. Hallelujah. That is the essence of Christology. That we will be grounded in this truth about who Jesus is and be able to what rightly and logically explain and apply this in our own individual lives. Hallelujah. Now before we look at the humanity of Jesus Christ, we must first of all understand that Christ is divine. Amen. Jesus Christ is what? He's, he has a divine nature. Jesus has a divine nature. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ is 100% God and he's what? And he's 100% man. And that statement can seem to make us think, how can he be 100% man at the same time 100% God? In scripture, sometimes we'll see Jesus Christ referred to as a son of God. For example, now let's look at John chapter 10, verse 33. John 10, 33. 36, quickly. We'll be faster now. John 10, 33. The Jews answered him, we are not going to stone you for a good work. You know, when Jesus Christ has said a lot of things about himself. He says, the Jews answered him, we are not going to stone you for a good work. But, but for blasphemy, because you, you, a mere man, make yourself out to be God. Hallelujah. Now, the next verse says, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said you are gods, human judges representing God, not divine beings. If, if he called them gods, men to whom the words of God came, and the scriptures cannot be undone or, un, or annulled or broken. If that is true, then do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and set apart for himself and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? Hallelujah. Now, go back to the previous verse. Because he told them that he is the Son of God. They neglected all the good works that he has done. The healing, the miracles. For this just statement that he is the Son of God, they wanted to kill him. Jesus Christ was killed because of the truth. The indictment against Jesus Christ was blasphemy, according to them. Remember before the, the, the king, you know, the priest tore their clothes. Oh, this is blasphemous. What evidence do we need more to crucify him? Why? Because he, he, he revealed his nature as what? As the son of God. It also happened here. I am the son of God. Because I told you, because I said I am the son of God. The next verse, which is the last verse here. Well, let's 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 move, let's let's read Mark ten forty five. Now here Jesus refers to himself. Well, and many countless scriptures will see Jesus referred as the Son of God. Now this in Mark chapter ten verse forty five, Jesus will refer to himself as the Son of Man. For even the Son of what of Man do not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Hallelujah. So is he the son of God or is he the son of man? If you are not careful, you could say that it is contradictory. How can the son of man also be the son of God? But indeed, these two expressions, son of God and son of man, are not contradiction of his identity, but rather the fusion of his divine nature and his humanity. Hallelujah. So he is 100% the son of man and he is 100% the son of God. Amen. That is who Jesus is. It is important for us to also look at his pre-incarnation. The fact that we say that he is a man does not mean that he was created. Amen? Anything that existed outside time is God. 
angels did not exist before the world was created. In fact, angels were created for man, not for God. Hallelujah. God doesn't need angels to, to do what he wants to do. Angels were created to serve man. That is their responsibility. Hallelujah. So there's nothing special about them. Amen. So Jesus Christ was not created. Let's look at his pre-incarnation before we double into his human nature. He was not created. John chapter 1, from John chapter 1 that we read earlier on, we'll dwell here a little bit because this foundation is very, very key. In the beginning, before all time was the word. And we know that this word is referring to what? To Christ. That means before time, before the beginning, there was a time before the beginning. Hallelujah. And before that beginning was Christ. Amen. So this fact must be established that what? Before time began, he existed. And the word was with God. And the word was what? Was God himself. Hallelujah. He was continually existing in the beginning. Called eternally with what? With God. This is a fact that we must establish about who Jesus is. Remember, we are studying Jesus Christ. All things were made and came into existence through what? Through him. And without him, not even one thing was made that has come to being. So number one, he's eternal. That's the nature of God. Secondly, he's pre time, before time began, and then things, all things that we saw were created through him. And in other scriptures, we hear that they were created for him. Hallelujah. Created by him, for him. Amen. All that we are is for Jesus. All things, not some things, but all things. All things were made and came into existence through him. And without him, not even one thing was made that has come to be. Verse 4. In him was life. And the power to bestow life. And the life was what? Was the light of men. Verse 5. The light shines on it. In the darkness rather. And the darkness did not understand it. Or overpower it. Or appropriate it. Or absorb it. And it's unreceptive to it. There came a man. Now, this is where the discussion shifted, right? There came a man commissioned and sent from God, whose name was what? Was John. This man came as a witness to testify about what? About the light, so that all might believe in Christ, the light through him. So the purpose of John, as we read earlier in the subsequent verse, he says, is to reveal Jesus Christ. John was not the light himself, but came to testify about what? About this light. There it, there it was, the true light, the genuine, perfect, steadfast light, which, which coming into the world enlightens everyone. Amen. Hallelujah. Just wait at verse 9. The light was coming into the world. The light's destination from God was the world, which enlightens everyone. Hallelujah. Because everyone is where? He's in the world. The next verse. He, that is Christ, was in the world. And though the world was met through him, the world did not recognize him. So Jesus Christ existed where? Not in heaven, but on earth. He came to earth. That is what I mean. He came to, the, to that which was his own, that which belonged to him, his world, his creation, his possession, and those who were his own people, the Jewish nation, did not receive and welcome him. But to as many as did receive and welcome him, that is where our confession lies and our faith, he gave the right, the authority, the privilege to become the children of God. That is to those who believe in and adhere to and trust and rely on his name. Hallelujah. The next verse. Who were born not to of blood, natural conception, nor of the will of the flesh, physical impulse, nor of the will of man, that of a natural father, but of God that is a divine and supernatural birth. They are born of God, spiritually transformed and renewed and sanctified. Verse 14. And the world, Christ, became what? 
Became what? Became what? Became a human being. That is what that flesh means. Hallelujah. So this Christ who existed eternally with God became flesh and lived amongst us. That means that he lived among men, the natural way of living like the way men live. And we actually saw his glory. So John, now there are two Johns here. There's John, the, the one that is giving us a story. And there's John the Baptist that he's talking about him, who is not the light. These are the parties, and Jesus Christ obviously say. So, and the word Christ, that is Christ, became flesh and lived amongst us. And we, actually, we saw his glory as belong to the one and only begotten son of the father, the son who is truly unique, the only one of his kind, who is full of grace and truth, absolute freedom, free of deception. Hallelujah. Jump to verse 18. Quickly, verse 18. No one has seen God. If anybody told, tells you they have seen God, telling the scripture says that no one has seen God. His essence, his divine nature, at any time, the one and the only begotten son, the begotten, yes, the one and the only begotten God that is the unique son who is in intimate presence of the father, he has explained him and interpreted and revealed the awesome wonder of the father. Hallelujah. Nobody has seen God before. But when we see Jesus Christ, we see God. Hallelujah. So we're able to know who God is by what? By seeing Jesus. So God wanted to reveal himself to man. And the only way that he can reveal himself to man is to interact with man in a way that man can comprehend him. Amen. He had to be tangible for man to see and touch. The next verse, verse 19. This is a testimony of John the Baptist when the Jews sent priests and levites to him from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed truthfully and did not deny it. What did he say? But he acknowledged, I am not the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. All right? They asked him, what then are you, Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the, prof the, the promised prophet? And he answered, no. Which means that these Jews were expecting a promise. They were expecting a Messiah. Then they said to him, who are you? Tell us, so that we may give answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? We don't understand what you're doing. Tell us who you are so we can report back to people that sent us on this research. He said, I am the voice of the one shouting in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. Amen. 25. Verse 25. They asked him, why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ? No Elijah, no the prophet. John answered them, I baptize only with water. But among you, now look at it now. I want, I want you to look at this verse carefully. It says, but what? But among you. Among where? Among men. Among them. Which means that Christ is already existing, is existing among them. There stands one whom you do not recognize. And of whom, verse 28, and of whom you do not recognize and of whom you know nothing. So, where was Christ? Was among men. Hallelujah. Even though John himself have not seen him, have not even known him yet, but he knows that he's a man that is among men. Hallelujah. So what are we trying to prove? We are trying to prove through scriptures that Jesus Christ was a man. And he dwelt among men. He lived among men. Verse 27. It is he, the preeminent pre one, who comes after me. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, even as his slave. These things occurred in Bethany. Now, there is a place it happened. There's a location they gave us of where this thing happened. In where? In Bethany. Across the Jordan at the Jordan River, crossing where John was baptizing. So there's an address and location for all these things. The next day, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he saw Jesus Christ as a man. This was not a revelation or a dream or a vision, but he saw Jesus Christ. He said, Well, look, here is a man. This is he on behalf of whom I am said. I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank 
than I and has priority over me. For he existed before me. Wait a minute. Pause here. Between John and Jesus Christ, who was born first? John was born first. He was six months older than Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. But John says that he existed before me, which means that Jesus Christ existed somewhere before him. Hallelujah. So even though he's telling us that he's a man, but this man has existed before me. Hallelujah. So this cannot the pre-incarnation of Jesus Christ. Jesus existed before he was born. Hallelujah. And then here he is as a man whom have exist, who exists in flesh. He existed before me. The next verse. I did not recognize him. Actually, John did not recognize that he was even his cousin. Because why? He lived a normal human life. Amen? He maybe played with kids the way any other person would play. He ate food with them. Even his family might not, probably they, 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 they may have had things about him, but they didn't recognize him as what? As the savior of the world. I did not recognize him as the Messiah. This is what John is saying. But I came baptizing in water so that he will be publicly revealed to Israel. So this was a time where Jesus Christ would be publicly revealed. John gave further evidences testifying officially for the record with valid, validity and relevance saying, I have seen the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven. And he remained upon him. I did not recognize him as the Messiah. But he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the spirit descend and remained, this one is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. So John also needed a sign to understand who the Messiah is. And the only confirmation he needed to see was the descending of the Holy Ghost upon Jesus Christ in form of a dove. Hallelujah. And when we read other translations, other gospel, uh, Mark or Matthew, either we'll see that there was a voice that came out to confirm the identity of who Jesus Christ is. Hallelujah. 34. I myself have actually seen that happen, and my testimony is that this is the Son of God. Hallelujah. So what have we looked at in this scripture? That number one, he lived before he was born. Number two, he lived as a man in flesh. And there are men that have seen him. They've touched. They've, they've, they've seen his glory. Hallelujah. Move to John chapter 3 verse 13 and 14. John chapter 3 verse 13 and 14. No one has gone up into heaven, but it's one who come down from heaven. Amen. The son of who? Of man himself, whose home is where? Is in heaven. The son of man whose home is where? Is heaven. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent, bronze serpent in the desert, on the post, so must the son of man be lifted up on the cross. So this passage talks about Jesus Christ descending from heaven, which means that his abode was heaven. Then he appeared. That descending simply means he appeared. He manifested in the flesh. Hallelujah. That descending has to do with his manifestation to our level. The physical realm that we can see and touch and, and understand and behold. 1 John chapter 1 verse 1 to 4. 1 John chapter 1 verse 1 to 4. I am writing about what existed from the beginning. What we have heard, how did you hear? They heard through the scriptures. They heard through the teachings of the prophets, through the teachings of Moses. From the beginning that we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked and touched with our hands. Because, you know, he was disciples with Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ, right? They ate with him, they sat with him, they talked with him. They interacted with him as a normal man. What we have seen with our eyes, what we've looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the one who existed even before the beginning of the world, Christ. And the life and aspect of his being was manifested and we have seen it as eyewitnesses and testify and declare to you the life, the eternal life who was already existing with the Father, and was actually made visible to us, his followers. What we have seen and heard, we also proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship as partners with us. And indeed, our fellowship is a distinguishing mark of born again, 
believers is the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The last verse, verse 4. We are writing these things to you so that our joy in seeing you included may be made complete by having you share in the joy of salvation. Hallelujah. So Jesus Christ actually existed before he was on earth. Amen. So he was never created. So one of the biggest arguments that you can hear from the people of the opposite faith close to us is that Jesus Christ is an ordinary man. In fact, he's just a prophet that was also created by any other, like any other man. But God just elevated him above others by making him a prophet. Amen. This understanding of his pre-incarnation is very, very important to the gospel message. When you don't know this truth and your faith is not built on this truth, you will not go find this faith. This is an ingredient. This is a knowledge that is, is key to our faith. The pre-incarnation of Jesus Christ. So also his humanity. God became man. God became what? Became man. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. Quickly, Philippians chapter 2 verse 1. Verse 5, rather. Have this same attitude in yourself, which was in Christ Jesus. Look to him as your example in selfless humility. Why? Who, although he existed in the form, an unchanging essence of God, as one with him possessing the fullness of all the divine attributes, the entire nature of the deity. Number one, Jesus Christ was not half God. Amen? He was not partially God. He was... He was not partially God. But the Bible says that what? That he was possessing the fullness of all the divine attributes. The entire nature of deity. He did not regard equality with God. A thing to be grasped or asserted. As if he did not already possess it. Or was afraid of losing it. But what did he do? He emptied himself. He emptied that, that glory. That worth. Emptied himself without renouncing or diminishing his deity. Very key here. Amen. He didn't renounce or diminish his deity, but only temporarily giving up the outward expression of his divine equality and his rightful dignity by assuming the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of what? Of men. He became completely human, but was without sin. Being fully God and what? And fully man. The next verse, verse 8. After he was found in terms of his outward appearance as a man, for a divinely appointed time, he humbled himself still further by becoming obedient to the Father to the point of death. Even the death, not by firing squad, as I used to say, not by sickness, but the most horrible death, the most shameful death, the death on the cross that is is, is meant for people that are cursed. That is how low he went. Verse 9. For this reason also, because he obeyed and so completely humbled himself, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Nine and nine, yeah. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in submission. Of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess and openly acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord. The sovereign God. To the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. So the essence of the Gospels. When I say the Gospels. I'm talking about the book of Matthew. The book of Mark. The book of Luke. And the book of Jude, John rather. Is to prove the humanity of Jesus Christ. That there was a man who existed in history with an address, with a family, with an earthly origin and location where we can meet. You know, we can see he existed in history. They gave us, or they give us a historic account and the facts about the man called Jesus of Nazareth. Amen? He has a hometown. Someone said, can something good come out of Nazareth? Because Nazareth was just like the lowest village you can think of. And Nathaniel was really, you mean the Savior is from Nazareth? You mean this Messiah we've been waiting for is from Nazareth? Come on, Nazareth. Upon all cities and places, 
The Messiah did not even think of where you come from, is Nazareth. So his birth is content in what? In the Gospels, when we read through the Gospel, his biological family and his ancestry was listed for us to see the proof of his humanity. His earthly life, his works and his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. All these were contained and captured for us as historic facts. And we have it from different writers, four Gospels. And the essence of having four of them it's not for us. It's not that it's contradictory because some stories will see one thing and the other is missing there. It's for us to have a 360 degree understanding of who Jesus is. That he really lived upon the earth. He existed as a man. Now, these are pivotal historic events without which there is no Christian faith. Hallelujah. If you take away truth about the humanity of Jesus Christ, then we are miserable. Then there's no Christianity. If you say Jesus was never a man, then you are sitting here, that our being here is just a fraudulent activity we're doing here. Because as much and as important his humanity is, his, 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 his divinity is, so also, you know, his humanity is crucial to our faith. Hallelujah. You know why? It takes only a man to die. Amen? God cannot die. So for God to die, he has to become a man. So if you say that he was not a man, then he didn't die. Then we are hopeless because for us to be forgiven and accepted, someone must die. Do you see why he has to be a man? Hallelujah. He has to be a man. Why must, he, why must the Christ become a man? So that he could set us an example by his life on the earth. Romans chapter 8 verse 28. To Titus talks about us being formed according to his image. Amen? And then 1 chapter 2 verse 6 talks, talks about we must live according to the way he has lived. Hallelujah. So number one, he lived as a man to show us an example of what it means to live a perfect life. So from his footprints, we can put our footprints. From his, his victory, we can walk into victory. We can study the life of Christ and our lives are transformed. Hallelujah. So we needed a perfect example. We needed a perfect example of a life that we can emulate. Amen? And another reason, of course, why he must become a man is what I said, so that he can die. Amen. To forgive our sins and, the entire, and, 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 and to be a priest and to be a prophet, you know, it takes a man to be a priest. Hallelujah. And that is who Jesus is up till now. He's still a man in heaven. Hallelujah. The reason why we can say we can come boldly because we have a high priest. That high priest is the man Jesus with a resurrected new nature, new, uh, what do you call it, body that we are all going to have as a revelation of Jesus Christ. So much believe that God is giving, open our eyes to understand this truth. You know, that God is opening our eyes to understand this is, this is, this are doctrinal truth upon which our faith must be built upon. If we don't capture this and we don't memorize this, we don't meditate on this truth, that is why temptation will come and it will swift you away. Trials will come and then you, somebody will just wake up and say, now I don't believe again. Because we don't understand this truth. And this truth has not become part and a parcel of our lives. Now without accepting the truth of his humanity of Jesus Christ, that his existence as human in an earthly physical body, his death, his burial, and resurrection will be a lie. Therefore, Christianity becomes baseless and a fraud. I've said this before many times. He has to become a man. Hallelujah. Man introduced sin to the world. Do we agree? By the sin of Adam, right? We all became sinners. Hallelujah. Now, to take away sin, it must take the effort of God alone. Man cannot take away sin. It can only take the effort of God to deal with our sin. Because when Adam fell, he tried to cover himself, but he couldn't help himself out. So it takes only the effort of God to do what? To take away our sins. But for God 
to do that. God is spirit. Amen? Therefore, God must become man to take away our sins. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 to 19. Give me that scripture quickly. Finish the second to the last scripture, yes. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all people, no one being able to stop it or escape its power, because they all sinned. Sin was committed in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone when there is no law against it. Yet, death ruled over mankind from Adam to Moses, the lawgiver, even over those who had not sinned as Adam did. Adam is a type of him, that is Christ, who was to come, but in reverse, Adam brought destruction for Rosal, but Christ brought salvation. Amen? But the free gift of God is not like the trespass, because the gift of the grace overwhelms the fall of man. That is why, see, that is why the blood of Jesus Christ, there's no sin that Christ has not paid for. Even the sin that will be formulated tomorrow, the potency of Christ's death has power over it. Hallelujah. So, it says what? It's not like the trespass because the gift of the grace overwhelms the fall of man. For if many died by one man's trespass, that is Adam's sin, much more abundantly. You know what God did? Let's assume the sin is one cup. Right? One cup, one glass. He brought a bucket of grace and poured on one cup. That means you cannot even see the trace of that one cup. Hallelujah. That is a pictorial display of God's grace upon our fallen nature, our sin. Amen? So it says what? The, grace, the trespass, much more abundantly did God's grace and the gift that comes by the grace of the one man. The one man. It has to be a man that that grace must come through for us to experience it upon the earth. Amen? The grace is in heaven, but for it to be translated to us upon the earth, it must be through a man. And that man is Jesus Christ. Overflow to the benefit to many. Verse 16. Nor is a gift of grace like that which came through the one who sinned. For the one, for on the one that had the judgment following the sin resulted from the one trespass and brought condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift resulted from many trespasses and brought what? Justification. The release from sin's penalty for those who believe. Verse 17. For if by the trespass of one man, Adam, Death ran through the one Adam. Much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in eternal life through the one Jesus Christ. Verse 18. So then, as through one trespass, Adam's sin, there resulted what? Condemnation for all men. Even so, through one act, one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to, what? to all men and his eternal Amen. Verse 19, the last one. For just as through one man's disobedience, his fellows to hear his carelessness, his carelessness, his disobedience, the many were met sinners. So through the obedience of the one man, man again, the many will be met righteous and acceptable to God and brought into right standing with him. Hallelujah. So we are brought into right standing with God because of the obedience of a man. And that man is Jesus Christ. This is a mystery that I trust that God will open our eyes to accept, to apply, to meditate, to live with for the rest of our lives. That the devil will not beguile us of even the, the shortcomings we see manifesting in our lives. That we will not be victims of false teachings and doctrines that will not help us to become more like Jesus. Man introduced sin and a man came to do away with sin. Adam's sin renders all men and all creation hopeless and helpless in saving man and creation. The sin of Adam makes all the creation of God, including man, fault, faulty. Amen? And within the creation of man, within the creation upon the earth, there was no one that is perfect enough to save the creation of God. So therefore, the savior of, of, of the earth, man inclusive, because his salvation is, it's first of all, the salvation of souls of men. Amen? 
but that salvation has an effect upon the earth. Hallelujah. So for that restoration to happen, the Savior of the world must come, but not from within. Not from upon the earth. He must come from a place of perfection into where he can come in and fulfill this work of, 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 of saving man. Since all mankind and all creation is defected, the Savior of mankind must come, but not from this world. Jesus came from where? From another realm, from above. The only way to remedy the situation of man is to pay the penalty for his crime. Hallelujah. And upon the earth, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4, that the blood of bulls and rams and all the animals they sacrificed was not able to, doesn't carry the ability to cleanse the sin, to atone for the sins of man. To atone and to restore. He says, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and gods, gouts and sheep, doves and all those things they offer to take away the sins of men. So therefore, God had to become a man. God had to become a man to save man. God had to become a man in order for him to save man. Look at where he was as God. He emptied this nature, this glory. Look at this level of humility. And he took this body. Hallelujah. Became a man. That he will save us from our sins. Father, we thank you for this truth. And if you are here and then you've not really, really taken... See, God cannot invest himself like this. And then you don't accept. And it's a free gift. It's not by compulsion. By compulsion. You have to freely receive this gift. And if you are here and then you are yet to say, Lord, I receive this gift. This, this investment of God cannot be wasted. All you have to do is to say, Lord, I receive this. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for forgiving all my sins. And if you are here, you receive this salvation. And then you are not valuing it. You are not living according to what Christ has done for you. You are wasting, if there's any word like that, the grace of God. You are taking the grace of God for granted. And it's time for seek for mercy again. And say, Lord, this level of investment you've done to salvage me, I acknowledge that I have not lived as, as expected. I ask, Lord, they show me mercy and help me, Lord, to live in the reality of who you want me to become.